Last week we started a, a series called Change Your World in 52 Days, and we're kind of studying through the book of, of uh, Nehemiah. And uh, I love this story, and the deeper I get into this, the more I like it. So many things in this story um, that we can take and make application to our everyday lives exactly where we are. And uh, kind of to bring you up to speed is where we're at is Nehemiah was a very normal guy, was an average guy. He was a Jew who was a cupbearer to the king, the king of Persia. And basically what Nehemiah would do is he would taste, he would taste the wine before the king um, would drink it. And it was, it was solely for the purpose of making sure, you know, that nobody had poisoned the wine. And so before the king would drink his wine, Nehemiah would come along or be at his side and he would take a taste of the wine. And if he didn't fall over dead, then they knew it was safe for the king to drink the wine. And so that was his job. He was living in a, in a life of pretty much luxury, a life of comfort. Things were good for Nehemiah. He was a thousand miles away from Jerusalem. And uh, one day he got word of what's going on in Jerusalem, kind of his hometown, his ancestors' hometown, and he began to ask some questions. And he found out that Jerusalem was laying in rubble, that the walls had been broken down, um, that the city gates were no longer in place. They had been burned. And this got into Nehemiah's soul and got into his heart, and it bothered him. It bothered him to the point, like we looked at last week, that he sat down and he cried. And it wasn't just this little cry. It really got into his soul. And he decided that he had to do something about it. He said, somebody's got to do something. And it's not so much different than what we talked about last week, that for all of you here, I believe God has placed something inside of you. Somewhere down in your heart, somewhere down in your soul, God has placed something that is unique to you, that bothers you, and when you see it, For some of you, maybe you're still running from it, but when you see it, you think somebody's got to do something. And you look at other people and you wonder, why don't they care like I care? Why doesn't it bother them the way it bothers me? Why doesn't it bother them that there's thousands of children starving every day? Why doesn't it bother you that there's orphans that are on the street and are homeless? God has placed something inside of you, and that's exactly what was going on with Nehemiah. Well, Nehemiah was brave enough. First of all, what Nehemiah did is he went to the Lord in prayer, and he bathed it all in prayer. He said, God, this is bothering me. What do you want me to do about it? God gave him direction. Nehemiah was courageous enough to go back to the king, which, by the way, could have killed him instantly. You didn't just walk into the king and ask for things. But he walks into the king. The king notices that he's down, that he's sad, that he's depressed, or whatever it is, and said, hey, Nehemiah, what is your problem? And Nehemiah says, here's my problem. My hometown, the town of my forefathers, our, our, to our nation, Jerusalem is huge. And I've just learned that the walls are broken down, the city gates are burned, and I would love to go back to Jerusalem. If you would give me permission, I would love to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the wall. And so the king graciously gives him permission. Nehemiah travels a thousand miles or so back to Jerusalem. He surveys the damage, and this is kind of happening between last week and this week for you and I, but he kind of surveys the the damage, he assembles the people, he casts the vision, and after over a hundred years, about a hundred and forty years of hopelessness for God's people, hope comes into the picture. 
And Nehemiah starts spreading this word of hope and saying, we can do this, we can rebuild the wall, we can bring honor back to our nation, we can bring protection back to our city. And before long, as he got organized and got people in place, they began to make progress and the wall began to get rebuilt. And as is in every case, when you do something for the Lord, when God places something in your heart, or when there's a group of people that tries to do something for God and has direction from God, there will always be opposition. And that is a case that takes place in Nehemiah's life. And that's where we're gonna, what we're going to look at today. Opposition shows up, and in this case, it shows up in the form of two men named Sambalot and Tobiah. And there was others. These guys were kind of political opponents to what was going on. And they said, we can't let the Jewish people, the Jews at this time were in captivity. But he said, we can't let the Jews get back any power, any type of honor or anything like that, because then they'll be out of our control. And so they started to bring opposition. And in reality, what they tried, what they were really doing is trying to protect their own power and their own financial interests in this story. But here's what we got to remember is that any time, any time that you and I, and here's, I was thinking about this this morning, is <clears throat> I hope for you guys that we can take this corporately as a church, but even more importantly, that we can take these lessons privately as people. Because I, can, I am sure that there are some of you here today that as you walked in today, and if you would be honest, you would just have to say, you know what, I'm just, I'm tired I'm tired of fighting. I'm tired of pushing. I'm tired of trying. It seems like God is asking me to do things, and I've tried, and it just isn't working. And every time I start making progress, it seems like opposition comes, whether it's in circumstances, or whether it's through people, or whatever it might be through relationships, that it seems like it just pushes back, and I'm just tired. Let me just tell you something. Every single time that you and I try to do something for the Lord, and I could even say when we try to do the right thing or determined to do the right thing, we will encounter opposition every time. It is just the way it is. And so I hope for you and I, you this morning especially, that you can hear this and you can walk out of this place and be recharged and kind of say, boy, that was just like a fresh breath. That was like a gas tank full of fuel. And I'm ready to go. And I'm going to stay in the fight. And I'm going to go against this opposition. And I'm going to do whatever it takes. I'm never going to quit as long as God has given me direction. Nehemiah 4 is where we're going to be today. And what I do want to talk to you about today is how do we defeat discouragement? How do we fight discouragement? How do we break this kind of this bond and this, because discouragement can just press us down. Boy, it can just push us down into the ground. It can gonna just bind us up and we can just stay discouraged. And by the way, discouragement can lead to us being completely paralyzed in fulfilling the mission God wants us to fulfill. I don't care what it is. I don't care if it's, if it's your relationship with your wife or your husband. I don't care if it's your children. I don't care if it's a relative. I don't care if it's somebody in the church. I don't care if it's the church trying to do something. Whatever it is, or something that you're trying to do as a couple, discouragement grabs all of us if we're not careful. And the reason it grabs us is because we do meet opposition. We have to understand this before we even get into these principles, that we have a spiritual enemy 
Listen, you and I have a spiritual enemy that is out to get us. The Bible's very clear on it. The Bible says that our enemy, his mission is to steal, to kill, and destroy. That's what he loves. That's what he lives for. The Bible says that he's like a roaring lion roaming around looking for someone to devour. Okay? He's, not, he's not this meek little thing. It's real. You and I are in a war. And it takes courage. And it takes alertness. And it takes brains. And it takes awareness to say, listen, I'm encountering some opposition. I know I'm struggling with discouragement. But God has asked me. God has told me. And I recognize where that is coming from. Because I do have an enemy. Whenever you do move forward and you do something that calls you to do, your spiritual enemy will always try to oppose you. And you, you might look at the story of Nehemiah. Right? I don't know if you do or not, but you might look at the story of Nehemiah and you might think, uh, hey, it should have been not that big of a deal. Right? Nehemiah was... This cupbearer living in this, this comfortable life with this king. And uh, he got a clear word from God, Nehemiah did. Had a clear burden from God, got a clear word from God. Went a thousand miles and you would think, okay, listen. This is how we think of ourselves. Listen, Nehemiah sacrificed a whole lot. He moved away from his comfort, moved away from his security. Gave up a whole bunch of stuff to do exactly what God asked him to do. And you would think... You would think that everything would go good. Why wouldn't it? God asked him to do it. God showed up clearly. God empowered him, gave him the gifts. Even, even at this point, had, had raised up people that believed in the mission. Things were going good. And you would think, God, when you give that clear of a vision and that clear of, of an anointing, and then I give up so much, and I sacrifice so much, surely things would go good, and you would just bless this, and it would go. Well, we're going to hear, we're going to learn in this story that it wasn't that smooth. That they encountered real opposition and real discouragement. Not because they did anything wrong, but because they were doing something right. And that leads to the first point. The first thought in your outline is we don't face opposition often. We don't face opposition because we're doing something wrong. But a lot of times we face opposition because we're doing something right. You catch that? We don't necessarily catch opposition and criticism and discouragement because we're doing something wrong, but because we're doing something right. See, boy, we flip that all the time as Christians. We think as soon as we get criticized, as somebody, somebody kind of points at us, as soon as somebody discourages us, as soon as everybody doesn't agree, that we're doing the wrong thing, then it's exactly the opposite of that. A lot of times you don't face opposition because you're doing something wrong. You face it because you're doing something right. That's actually an awesome thought. I don't care if it's a personal thing. I don't care what it is. It's great news. Maybe for some of you, you're thinking today, well, I, might be, I must be doing a lot of things right. Because I sure am encountering a lot of opposition. Could be. And listen, I know you can probably take that too far. But if you're not doing anything significant, if you're not trying to do anything significant for the Lord, let me ask you a question. 
Why would the enemy mess with you? Because he doesn't have anything to worry about. The enemy is not going to mess with a person that is not trying to do something for the Lord. He's not going to mess with you if God has given you a call and you're just not going to pursue it. Why would he? He's got you exactly where he wants you to be. And I know that, listen, you can argue with this, but I'm just talking in general terms and you guys understand. If you're doing something significant for the Lord, you will face opposition. And just because you face opposition doesn't mean you're doing something wrong. It could very well mean you're doing something right. Through the story of Nehemiah, I want to look at, we're going to look at two different ways that our spiritual enemy tries to attack us or discourage us that hopefully will connect with you guys this morning. The first thing is our enemy will attempt to discourage you. Our ten, your enemy will attempt to discourage you from the outside. He will use external forces to try to discourage and to cause you to quit. And by the way, that is exactly what he wants, is he wants you to quit. He wants you to back off, to just throw up your hands and say, I can't do it anymore. It's too hard. I've tried too long. Nehemiah 4, the first three verses. Nehemiah is building this wall, and the enemy shows up to try to discourage. External forces, outside forces. Here's what the Bible says. It says, when Sambalot heard that they were that they were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. And so he's, here's what he did. He ridiculed the Jews. In other words, he made fun of them, right? He started calling them names. He started calling just spreading rumors and making fun of them. Verse 2, And in the presence of his associates in the army of Samaria, he said, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore the wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? He's making fun of them, poking holes in what they're doing. Can they bring the stones back to life from the heaps of rubble burned as they are? In other words, he's saying in a mocking voice, he's saying, who do these people think they are? Do they really think? Do they really think? Are they crazy? Do they really think they're going to rebuild this massive wall out of the rubble that is left over? Do they really think that they're going to be able to do that? Do they really think they're going to be able to offer sacrifices and do this as a group of people? Are they crazy? They should know that what they're trying to do is impossible. They're crazy. They're dumb. It's way too big of a dream. It's way too big of a vision. They'll never, ever, ever be able to do it. And he attacks them and makes fun of them. Verse 3. Here comes his friend Tobiah. Tobiah the Amorite. Who was at his side. He starts making fun. He says, what are they building? If even a fox climbed up on it, he would break down their wall of stones. And he's getting ridiculous now. He's saying, okay, maybe they're going to rebuild the wall. But obviously, if they rebuild this thing, it's not going to last. It's not going to be built right. It's never going to work. The first time something happens, the wall's going to come down, and what they're doing is not going to be a lasting thing. I don't know if you guys knew this or not, but in the very beginning of this church, and listen, we faced opposition. You, you guys have been around. But in the very beginning of this church, I had a person tell me that it was actually pretty close to me, looked me in the face and said, the church that you're trying to build and the people you're trying to build it with, it will not last. 
That's opposition. And that's external forces trying to discourage us. And you know what? We will last. And we have lasted. And we will continue to last. Because God has asked us to do something as a group. And you know what? Yes, we will face opposition. And it's okay. That means we're doing something. That means we're trying to do something significant. And people have told you things in your life already too. You can try that, and you can try to go do that. You can try to start that business, and you can try to go do this. But I can pray it's not going to last. Tobias says, man, even if a fox climbs up on that wall, he'll break it down. You will often face obstacles as you, made, as you move forward and as you make progress. It could be all kinds of stuff for you this morning. It could be for some of you that God has spoken clearly and he said, I want you to step out and I want you to get out of the out of bondage of debt. And you're a Dave Ramsey freak or you're some other financial freak and you're going to just step out and you're going to do whatever it takes. And you know what's going to happen? And you know you've heard me say this a hundred times. You know what's going to happen? is next week your car is going to break down and you're going to have a $1,000 bill or you're going to have a $1,500 bill out of nowhere. That's opposition. And it will happen. The time that you decide you're going to get your marriage in order and you're going to give it everything you've got and you're going to forgive and you're going to forget or whatever's going to go on or you're just going to make it a priority, I promise you, you will face opposition every time. It could be in the form of your spouse. But you will face opposition. Don't be surprised when you try to do the right thing. That you face criticism or opposition. You know, for those of us that are spiritual leaders in our home. And by the way, some of you guys are not being spiritual leaders. And you have a wife that is sitting in the shadows just waiting for you to step up and be the spiritual leader. And then there's others of you guys that when you try to lead spiritually, your wife will ridicule you or your kids will say something and you're just like, yep, that's exactly why I don't want to do it. Facing opposition. Or maybe you're a parent here and you're going to lead your your family spiritually and you're going to set some parameters or whatever it is and you have a teenager that walks up and begins to question the very foundation of our Christian faith. You will face opposition. Whatever it might be. Again, when you are doing something significant for God, you can always expect to face some opposition from somewhere from the outside. Not because you're doing something wrong, but because you're doing something right. Some of you, maybe for you, you've taken a few steps forward and you're facing your first obstacle. You've taken a few steps forward in something and an obstacle has come up. Do not let that obstacle discourage you and derail you from what God has called you to do. It means you're on the right track in a lot of cases. It means you're finally doing the right thing. Here's a second way that we will face opposition from the outside and it is with criticism. This is one of the hardest ones because this becomes very, very personal. But we will face criticism. That's exactly what Sambalot and Tobiah did to the Jewish people. He said, you are feeble. Who are these feeble people? You guys are weak. You're never going to get anything done. If a little fox walks up on your wall, it's going to fall down. And they begin to criticize them. 
And listen, it's as, it's as common as, um, you know, maybe you're a couple here today and you have been praying and you felt like God is leading you into foster care. And you will face criticism. Something like this will happen is your mother or your mother-in-law will become a part of the conversation and she or he will say something like, you know, I'm not even sure you're taking, you can't even necessarily take care of your two kids. How do you think you're going to take care of another one? And you will face criticism. Maybe for some of you, God has called you to leave a higher paying job, to take a lower paying job because of the more opportunity it is or whatever, to serve God and your friends and your neighbors and the people close to you are saying, what do you think you're doing? Are you crazy? And what was clear for you is not clear anymore because all of a sudden criticism has entered in. Maybe for you students in school, You felt like God has said, you need to lead a Bible study, or you need to start leading a prayer group every morning at school. And you know exactly what's going to happen and exactly what's going to come when the kids around you find out, and they're going to criticize, and they're going to call you a Jesus freak, and over the top, and you're going to get criticized. On and on, the list can go on and on. Here's what you and I need to understand. If we want to change our world, I'm not talking globally, although that's a part of it. We want to change our world, just our world, the people around us. If we want to do something different, and if you're going to be a leader, which, by the way, all of you are leaders because all of you influence people around you, and if you influence anyone, it means you're a leader. And what comes with being a leader is criticism every time. You can never lead anything if you're not willing to take the criticism that comes along with it. And I'm telling you, I think this is one of the things that keeps so many people kind of handicapped and kind of in the shadows is because as soon as you step out, as soon as you're going to do something, you will be criticized and you will face obstacles. And I just want you to know this. If you're a Christian, if you're bringing in air this morning, God has called you to something, and God has called you to be a leader, which means you will be criticized and you will encounter obstacles. If you're going to do anything significant, it's a part of it. Here's what Nehemiah did not do. This is such an important principle. You know what Nehemiah did not do when the criticism hit? When Sambalot and Tobiah and this stuff started going on, Nehemiah didn't stop the work. Nehemiah didn't stop in mid-stride and say, Oh man, I can't believe they don't like me. I can't believe they're critical. I can't believe... He didn't stop his work and go to lunch and pamper them and try to get them on the team and try to talk them in to getting on board and try to talk to them into liking him. He didn't do it. You know what Nehemiah did? He stayed at task and he stayed working on the mission that God had given him. He didn't try to convert them. He did two things. He did two things in the text. The first thing he did is he took it to God. He prayed. He took it to God over and over and over again. And all through the story, he was Very, very consistent on taking things to God. The second thing he did is he just went right back to work. 
He heard their criticism. He heard what they were saying. And he took it to God. He went right back to work. And many times when people criticize us, it is easy for us to lead defensively and to start defending and start arguing and start saying, yes, yes, you've got to understand. And listen, there's room for some of that. But never get defensive in what God has asked you to do. You stay at task and let them criticize. If God has called you to foster and it's clear, you stay at task. And you let the critics be critics. If you're a student in high school and God has asked you to do something in school to stand up for him, you do it and you let the critics be critics. And you take it to God. And then you stay at work. If God has called you to do something radical with your family, and you know it's a God thing, you do it. And you let the critics go ahead and criticize. When you decide to do something from God, the criticism, listen, criticism hurts. It always hurts. Because we're human. Criticism hurts me. Criticism hurts you if you're honest. You can act like it doesn't. It always hurts because it's personal. But you can never let that derail you from what God has called you to do and asked you to do. It never is a license to lead into lack of leadership or a lack of vision or, or to get things blurred and out of place. You do what God has called you to do. And you take it to God and you stay at work. You get back to work and you never quit. Never quit. You just hang in there. You just hang in there. You outlast the critics. You outlast the criticism. You outlast the obstacles. And here's the thing. This is such an awesome principle. When you encounter an obstacle as a family or as a person and you're trying to do something for God, picture yourself as water and the obstacle as a rock. Because you know what water does? Water always finds a way around the obstacle. It doesn't plow, it never hardly ever plows straight through the obstacle. It goes around it, over it, or under it. Your water, the obstacle's like a rock. You just figure out a way to get around it. You can't always blast straight through. You will encounter obstacles, you will encounter criticism. And then the second way that he tries to discourage us is from the inside. And maybe this is the toughest, I don't know. The enemy will try to discourage you from the inside. And you can see this happen in verse 10 of this story, beginning to come out of the insecurities insecurities of the Jewish people. It says, Meanwhile, the people of Judah, which was the Jews, Nehemiah's people, the ones that were helping him do the work, they begin to say, The strength of our laborers is giving out, and there is so much rubble, we cannot rebuild the wall. Here are the people. That Nehemiah was leading. It was that group began to get discouraged from the inside. And again, when you and I are called to do something from God, we will face discouragement from the inside. The enemy will try to discourage us from the outside and from the inside. And the people... I guarantee you the people started to have conversations and little whispers here and there and little get-togethers here and there and they said, who in the world do we think we are? 
I mean, do you really think that we can rebuild this massive wall? Do you really think we've got what it takes to rebuild this wall out of this heap of rubble? And they begin to doubt, and they begin to get discouraged. They begin to say things like, look, it's been like this for 140 years. Why do we think that we can change it? I don't think we've got what it takes. The enemy will discourage from the inside. If God has called you to do something for him. And you know what? I talked about this last week. and This is so real. I know this is real for you and I. If God has put a burden on your heart to do something for a people group, maybe, maybe you have a heart for the unborn and the abortions that take place in our country rip your heart out. And I can guarantee you part of the process in your mind is this, is, well, I'm just one person. What can I do? I'm just, I'm just me. How much difference can I make? Listen, you have an enemy that is planting that thought in your mind. It is not God. I can promise you that. Maybe you have a heart for hungry children. Maybe you have a heart for, to minister with teenagers. The list can go on and on and on. And your thought process is, who do I think I am? I'm just a stay-at-home mom. I'm not sure I have a lot to offer. Or I'm just, I'm just fill in the blank. I'm not sure that I can make that much difference. And we've got to do what we talked about last week. We've got to sit down and cry. Let the burden penetrate. Feel it. Own it. Feel the pain. Feel the burden. Feel the ownership. Take it to the Lord. Kneel down and pray. And then you've got to get to work. You've got to get to work. When you step out in faith and try to do something on behalf of God, you will face opposition, not because you're doing something wrong, but because you're doing something right. You will face obstacles. You will be criticized. You will be misunderstood. On the inside, you will even doubt yourself sometimes because your spiritual enemy wants to stop what God has called you to do. And that whole fact ought to encourage us. If we're facing obstacles, if we're facing some criticism, and it's, not, and it's not smooth sailing, it may be a sign you're on to something. It may be a sign that you're following what God has asked you to do. I don't know how many of you would be honest enough. I'm going to raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. But if you're like me, sometimes I get discouraged. And we all get discouraged. And sometimes it feels like, man, it would just be easier to find something that would be a lot easier to do. And you know what? That happens in every job. It happens in every profession. So I'm not singling out the pastor thing at all. That's not what I'm doing. But all of us get to that place. And I've heard it from people. You know, I have those thoughts. And we just get discouraged. It's like, there's got to be a simpler way to make a living. There's got to be something simpler to do that would please God than what I'm doing right now. And we just get discouraged. How do we get over that discouragement? How do we press on? How do we stay at work? Verse 14. How do we defeat discouragement? Verse 14 maybe gives us a clue. Here's what Nehemiah says. He says, After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people. Here's what he said. 
He looked things over. He kind of figured out where things were at. He went to the people and he stood up and very boldly, he said, don't be afraid of them. Don't be afraid of them. Don't be afraid of them. And here's what he was saying to the Jewish people at this time, and it registered with him. Here's what he was saying to the Jewish people. Don't be afraid of them, because greater is he than is in the world. Right? If God is for us, who can be against us? And he was saying this to the Jewish people. Would you guys remember... Would you guys remember Moses? Would you guys remember that we were in captivity? Would you remember that God called a man and his name was Moses, an ordinary guy, and he sent a burning bush in front of him that wasn't consumed? (coughs) And then Moses went to Pharaoh and asked for our release, and he wouldn't release us, and God sent plagues. And finally he released us, and when we thought everything was good, we still countered obstacles. And a couple days into our freedom, there was a sea in front of us, a mountain behind us or beside us. We were hemmed in by mountains, a sea, and the Egyptian army was coming behind us. And we thought it was over. We thought it was way too big of an obstacle. And God showed up and parted the sea. And we walked through on dry ground. And they chased us. And the water came in. And they were killed. Would you remember, don't be afraid of them. Don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And then he says this, and fight. And let me just tell you something. That is not a passive word. That is an active word. He says, fight for your brothers, your sons, and your daughters, your wives, and your homes. And here's what he basically says, when you're discouraged, when you're discouraged, when I'm discouraged, do two things when you feel overwhelmed, when you feel like you're incapable, when you're unworthy. Two things. First thing is remember the Lord. Remember his faithfulness. Remember when he showed up. Remember what he's done in the past. Remember other people's stories of God's faithfulness. Remember God's faithfulness in your own life. Don't be afraid of them. But remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Some of you, maybe you need to remember this morning. Maybe you need to look back and you need to remember when God showed up, when God provided, when God was there, when God was faithful, and when you knew he was there, when you're discouraged, remember the Lord your God. And the second thing is, fight for your cause. Fight for your cause. This is so huge. Don't fight necessarily for yourself, but fight for a cause. Fight for something that's bigger than you. Because if you fight for yourself, you will at one point give up and surrender. But if you fight for something that is beyond yourself, that is larger than yourself, it gives you purpose. It's more than just you at stake. Fight for someone you love. Fight for someone that needs you. You know what? The other week when Galen Yoder was here, he made a statement that I've thought a lot about. 
He was talking about the point and, and uh, the idea that every person, and I believe this, that every person is born with a purpose. That every person, that every one of you was born with a people group, that God had a people group in mind for you to minister to. Does that make sense? That you're not here by accident. That God said, when you were in the womb, according to Scripture, and it's very clear that God said, I'm creating this person, and this is what I'm planting inside of this person to care about, to be drawn towards. This is why they're here. And it could be anything. Some of you know exactly what that is. You know the passion and what God has called you to do. And some of you are doing it, some of you aren't. But then he made this statement that just grabbed me and kind of ripped at me. He said this, if you don't do what God has called you to do, then that people group may never be ministered to. And I want you to, I want you to wrestle with that. I'm not saying that's true, but I want you to wrestle with that. If you don't do what God has called you to do, That thing inside of you, that thing that God wove inside of you when you were still in the womb, if you don't find it and you don't do it, there might be a possibility that that need never fully ever gets met. Fight for your cause. And I believe every person here has a cause. You were born for something. Fight for your cause. It's bigger than you. Don't fight for yourself, but instead fight for your brothers and fight for your sons and fight for your daughters and for your wives and for your homes and for the people that need you. See, here's the thing. Christianity, being a Christian, and I already touched on this in the beginning, it's not a playground. It's a battleground. And I think sometimes we live as Christians like it's a playground. And we want to swing on the swings and we want to slide down the slide and we want to jump in the pool and we want to party and we want to have a great time. But when it comes to the battleground, we don't really want to battle. When it really gets hard, when the obstacles come and the criticism comes and things get in the way, we want to bail out and we say, that's ridiculous. Why would we ever try to do that? It's too big. It's too hard. It's a lot easier for us to just live quiet, little Christian lives and pretend that we're in a playground instead of on a battleground. And Nehemiah is saying, listen, remember your God. Remember your God. Remember who he is. And don't fight for yourself. Fight for each other. Fight for your brothers. Fight for your sons and your daughters and your wives and your home. Find something, in other words, that is bigger than you. And you fight for it. And you figure out a way to go around, under, or over the obstacles. And don't you worry about the critics when you're doing what God has called you to do. The critics will always, always, always be there. You know what I've discovered about critics? Is most of the times critics never have solutions. Most critics never have solutions. But they're professionals at pointing out the problems. And I heard one person say one time, any old moron can point out problems. It takes a special person to come up with solutions. So listen, don't worry about the critics in your life. They will always be there. You do what God has called you to do. And you fight for it. 
I don't know who you're supposed to fight for today, but you know. Some of you know right now who you're called to fight for. And I would encourage you to go fight for him. Stand up and act. Get involved. Remember the Lord and fight for your cause. And you will change this world. You will change your world. I want to pray with you guys this morning, and I don't want to make a big deal out of it. But if you guys would just bow your heads. We're going to close in prayer this morning. Father, I thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for this story. And God, I know that in this group, God, including myself, that we have all been called to something. And for some of us, we know what it is. God, right now it could be called to fix our marriage, to work in our marriage. It could be that we're called to something right in our family. And here's what I want you guys to do with your heads bowed. If you're here this morning and you would just want to be honest enough to say, you know what, I am discouraged. I am facing some obstacles or I'm facing some criticism and I want prayer. Would you just raise your hand and we'll pray together today?